and be seated. I tell you, it's always encouraging to be here in this place and to hear you sing those words and for that to be uh, an encouragement to me. And, uh, and I hope that each of you are encouraged as you stand together and sing words of truth and sing words um, about Jesus and about freedom and about redemption. And um, there's some strange words that we sing, like about how beautiful the blood flows. Um, for someone that is not familiar with the story of Christ, that may sound a little weird, it may sound a little off-putting, but um, just to put it in, in the nutshell, and maybe that's you, um, we believe that Jesus came and that he, he uh, was God and man and that he, died, he lived a perfect life, but that he died. He died for us in our place. And because of that and because of his blood that he shed, we believe we can have freedom. We believe that we can have eternal life. And so that's why we sing songs like that. That's why we, we gather around the table and take a little piece of cracker and juice it's because we believe, we believe in Jesus and his sacrifice. So welcome to this place if, if, if it, that was all new to you. Well, I, want, I have a question for you. Any of you running the Peachtree Road Race tomorrow? All right. Hey, believe it or not, first service we just had enough people to fill a few of these chairs here, but we had about equal crowd. So first service, you know, there, they, there's a lot of athletes in there, all right? Good job, though. I'm glad that we'll have uh, Christian Church Buckhead representation um, at the Peachtree Road Race because I will not be there. I will be far away. Like I said earlier, I'm going to be on the south side doing my south side thing. Um, and I know that some of you may be fooled into thinking because of my superb physique here um, <laughs> that I'm a runner, but I'm not. Um, that's our senior pastor, Derek. And so I this, this whole peach tree road race thing, uh, maybe one day, maybe one day, but not tomorrow. Um, but here's some facts. Let's see if you knew these. Well, let me ask you, how, how many are uh, registered for tomorrow for the road race? Anybody know? 60,000 people are going to be running down this road right out here. That's right. And it takes 3,400 volunteers to take care of those 60,000 people. And they serve 500,000 cups of 120,000 gallons of water to, to the 60,000. And they, those 60,000 runners will burn 36 million calories. I know this is thrilling you. <laughs> 36 million calories. And uh, this, is, this is the one that will just you'll take home. You need to write this down. There will be close to 750 portable toilets rented to, to accommodate these 60,000. All right. Who knows what the coolest start temperature was in the history of the race? Anybody have a guess? How, who's? 63. You were so close. You were so close. 62 degrees in 1986 and 1989. Not tomorrow. It's going to be 72. All right, cheaters beware. All the runners this year are going to be timed. All of them, not just the top ones. They have, and if you're running the race, maybe you already got your little device or whatever, but you're timed from the time you start until you end. So don't go think about parking on, at Kroger halfway, you know, and, and cheating and getting your T-shirt. Not going to work for you this year. Um, part of the course, I want to see if you know this. Part of the course near Piedmont Hospital, there's a hill. What is that hill called? Cardiac Hill, for good reason. Thank God there's a hospital right there. Does anybody know what anniversary of the race this is? Nope, close. 
42nd. So all of my life, all of my life, there's been a Peachtree Road Race. All right. Okay, none of you are going to know this. And if you do, you are a running nerd. I don't know if that's possible. Do you know who set the record for the men's course and what the time was? Or if you even know the time. Somebody was close over here. Somebody said 27. 27 minutes and four seconds. Yes, you're a nerd, whoever said it. Um, set by Joseph Lamani in 1996. And the women's record was 30-32, set in 2002. So, hey, I'm, I am pretty shocked, actually, that somebody knew that. But, you know, there's heroes in the running world. I'm sure that, they, that, that when they go back to their hometowns, you know, they're just put up on pedestals and celebrated. But around here, not so much. Runners don't get the respect that, like, a basketball player or football or, well, not hockey, not in Atlanta. Um, but they don't get as much, I know, they don't get as much attention. But in the ancient world, in the ancient world, a runner was held in high esteem. That was the, the top athlete. You could get wealthy being a runner if you had a sponsor. And there were, there were not only the Olympic Games that were ancient, but there were local games like the Isthmus Games that were held in the city of Corinth. Paul, the Apostle Paul, spent a lot of time in Corinth. Now, I'm not a, an athlete at all, like I said, but I do enjoy watching the games um, because I'm a very visual person. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but... I like, I like books that have lots of pictures in them. That's how I learn. And so the first, uh, thankfully, the Bible has lots of pictures in it. Now, before you grab your Bible and start thumbing through and going, where are they? Where are they? I don't see them. Or maybe you have one with lots of pictures, and that's good. <laughs> the pictures are not necessarily painted. They're word pictures. They're pictures uh, that, that are just drawn with words. And if you read the first four books of the New Testament, which is the Gospels, the story of Jesus, you'll see that over and over again, as he told about the kingdom of God, he used word pictures. He used stories, and he painted pictures in people's minds. And then if you look at the section called the letters or the epistles, those were letters to the young church, teaching the church how to be the church, and in those, we see pictures of the kingdom of God or life as a Christian, such as a soldier. Paul calls, calls us soldiers, and he uses warfare imagery. Or you see slavery imagery. He calls us slaves to Christ. Or you might see that the church is called the bride of Christ and that Christ is the, is the groom. Or you might see a, a, a father and a son, things like this. But there's, and you're probably ahead of me already, but there's one that's repeated over and over in the Scriptures in the New Testament, and that is the picture of the life as a Christian as a race. And Paul was the one who used it the most. If you look in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, you see that he said, do you, not, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way that you get the prize. And in his letter to the Galatian church, he chastises them a little bit, and he says, you are running a good race. Who cut you off to keep you from obeying the truth? And then even at the end of his life, Paul, in a letter to his student Timothy, writes his own epitaph, and he says, I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Well, today we're going to look at another portion of Scripture that uses race imagery to talk about 
following Christ. Now, this passage is found in the book of Hebrews, and we don't know who the author of Hebrews is. Some attribute it to Paul, and this very passage that we're going to look at is one of those reasons, because Paul, like we just said, used lots of race imagery, and because of that, Right here, this race imagery, we think maybe Paul wrote it, but there's no name attached. It doesn't really matter because the same Holy Spirit that inspired Paul to write his letters also inspired the writer of Hebrews, whoever he was. And so it's good for us today to look at it. So if you would go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 12, it's page 835 in the Bible that you got at the door, if you got one of those. While you're turning, I want to remind you that This was a real letter written by a real person to some real people. It was not simply written for your encouragement and my encouragement today, but it was actually meant for hearers to be encouraged. And as you can imagine, Hebrews back then, Jewish people that were coming to Christ, were under a lot of heat, a lot of pressure. They were being persecuted not only by the community and by their synagogue, but even by their family being, being disavowed. And so in chapter 10 of Hebrews, we won't look back there, but in chapter 10, most of that chapter is used to encourage these Christians that were being persecuted, these new Christians who were also Jewish. And then in, in chapter 11, we see a famous definition of faith that starts out that book, You probably heard this. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And then the rest of that chapter, chapter 11, and I encourage you to go back and read it. It's just a litany of, it's a list of of people of faith, people who had faith in the Old Testament, stories of faith, faithfulness. It's a roll call of the faithful, if you will. And so here we are in Hebrews chapter 12, and I'd like for you to read with me the first three verses. It starts out, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of the faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. God, may your word inspire us today. May our eyes and our ears and our hearts be open to what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're in a race, believers. And notice that the verse says it's the race that is marked out for us. It's the race lying before us. And although you can learn from me and I can learn from you about our race, our races are different. Your race is not mine. My race is not yours. We have some things in common about the race. God has called us to love him and to love others and to go into all the world and tell people about him. That's common to all of us. But how you carry that out How you run that race is going to look different from the way that I run that race. God has gifted you naturally with some talents and abilities. And then as you surrender to his spirit, he gifts you with gifts of the spirit that will allow you to to serve him and run the race. You have your own unique ability to carry out the call of God in your life. 
And also, this race is not a hundred-yard dash that you look away and then it's over. If you look at the, the Greek word that's used for race in, in, in verse 1, it's agona. Now, if you replace one letter in agona, the last letter, you get the word agony. That's what we get that, the word from. Now, those of you that are runners, you're probably going, yep, agony. That's right. And if you're talking about an endurance race, a long-distance race, you know that there's pain. You know that you run until you feel like you're going to die, and then you run some more. And, and there's something that I've heard, haven't experienced it myself, I promise you this, called a runner's high. And once you reach that runner's high, it's when the, the endorphins kick in. You reach a threshold of pain, and then the endorphins kick in, and it gets you through to the end. You're feeling good. But notice that the Hebrew writer uses the word perseverance, endurance. What is endurance? Well, I like to think of it as patience while you're still moving. Endurance takes training, good coaching, and a deeper motivation. You keep on moving, but not just for keep on moving's sake. For the Hebrew Christians, this was an encouragement for them not to give up in the face of persecution. But what does it say to us? What about us today? How do we run our own individual races, the races set before you and before me? How do we endure? What does it take to stay in the race? Well, let's look back at the text again for some help. The first little phrase there is, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Well, earlier today I mentioned sports heroes, and we could list them today and, and uh, probably take all day just listening who's your, who's your favorite sports person. But I would love to know if any of you have any faith heroes. Do you have somebody that you look to in the faith and you admire? People who would fit right in that list in chapter 11 of Hebrews. Well, I have some. And one that came to my mind when I was preparing this immediately was a professor that I had at Atlanta Christian College. His name was Denver Sizemore. Now, Professor Sizemore was a stern-looking guy, you can see. And he had been around the college for a long time. In fact, he taught my parents at Atlanta Christian College back in the 50s. And his serious affect caused some students to shudder and others just to roll their eyes. And in his, his rough grading scale on our scripture memory test, it caused a lot of weeping and gnashing of teeth in the, in the dorms. Let me tell you that. But you see, his, his classroom demeanor was, was misunderstood. Uh, Professor Sizemore was not mean. He, he just deeply loved God, and he was serious about preparing people for the ministry, preparing people to minister to other people, to tell them the gospel. And I have to tell you that there are certain sections of Scripture, because of his classes, that I could quote to you today, maybe with a little review. But I could quote them to you today, and it's because of Denver Sizemore. Now, while he was while he was professor, he also wrote a book. He wrote a couple of books on doctrine, and those books became kind of the standard in our fellowship. Um, they became books that people used to teach very, very deep theological issues and put them in an understandable text. But he also, while he was professor, was a preacher at a lot of the local churches. I remember when I, we first came back to Atlanta, he was, he was my preacher. Uh, just as a little, little boy. 
He also worked with, with other ministries in the area. He worked with a, uh, a Cambodian ministry on the south side. And uh, many of you may know Din. She's actually on the second row from the back. Wave, Din, wave high. Everybody wants to look at you. But Din was in that ministry, and Professor Sizemore baptized her. And so it, Din works with the children downstairs. And so if, if you have kids being taught by Din, there's a legacy there for Mr. Sizemore. Well, just a few years ago, after 43 years of teaching, Mr. Sizemore retired from my college. But, but that didn't stop him. He didn't retire from serving God. He continued to work. He, he taught in preacher training schools all around the world, in Africa and in other places. He became a missionary of, of, of sorts. Well, in March of last year, Mr. Sizemore died. And this is what his wife, Helen, wrote on her Facebook page. Professor Denver Sizemore passed away last night at 945 as he sat in his chair. But he taught Bible class yesterday. He wanted to be busy until his last breath. As he at 90 years of age, Professor Sizemore was still going, doing what he loved for the one he loved. And don't you want to be like that? Denver Sizemore's name belongs right there in chapter 11. That's what the therefore at the beginning of verse 1 is referring to. This great cloud, this conglomeration, this sea of faithful faces in the stands. Now you may be saying these are great folks for us to talk about. Noah, Abraham, Moses, and the like. They were heroes. They were special people. But let's be clear. The chapter 11 faithful were not perfect. Noah, the ark builder, got drunk. Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, was a liar. And Moses, the great Israelite leader who led them out, of the, out into the promised land, was a coward. And yet somehow, despite their weaknesses and their failures, they believed. They had faith. The word witness in verse 1 is the Greek word marturon. The word martyr is derived from that. But what was it they were witnessing? Remember, there's more than one connotation of the word witness. Now, if, if one of you was really kind to me and gave me Brave tickets for this afternoon, I could go and watch the Braves beat up on the Orioles again this afternoon. Be great. I'm just saying you can meet me right down here, the tickets. But I would witness that game. I would witness it. I would watch it unfold. But you see, if I witnessed a crime and they called me into the courtroom, they would call me to be a witness. And that's the connotation here. These people were witnesses. They were witnesses to God's faithfulness in their own lives. And because of his faithfulness, they had faith. You see, the first way that we can keep on keeping on, the first way that we can have endurance in the race, is by seeing that other people did it. Take a look at the scriptures and you see God's faithfulness. And take a, take a look at the Christians from the past and the present. And you'll see that God kept them going. This is where the, the psalmist's words in 119 ring true. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The race. And then just a few short words later, this prayer. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Now we've got to understand it's not that this great cloud of witnesses is watching you and me from heaven. It's not that there's holes in the floor of heaven like that country song says. 
that's a nice thought, but it's not biblical. Uh, these, these faithful heroes are, are people that we can read and learn about that were witnesses to God. They're witnesses to what he can and will do for you and for me as we run the, as we run the race. You see, he asks us to pace ourselves. He asks us to rest. And better than those 3,400 volunteers on Monday, he gives us living water to thirst our, to, to quench our thirsty souls. So first, our endurance comes by watching the examples of other followers of God. And F.F. F. Bruce puts it this way, that by their loyalty, they have borne witness to the possibilities of life of faith. It is not so much that, that they who look at us, but it's we who look to them for encouragement. And then there's a second and very crucial lesson that we learn from Hebrews, Hebrews 12. It's this, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, even though I've been in Atlanta all of my life, I want to admit to you, I have never watched or witnessed the Peachtree Road Race. I've never been up here um, one day. But I, I went online just a, a couple days ago just to see some pictures of some people that, that, were, that run the race. And I want you to take a look. Elvis, The Incredibles, Spider-Man runs the race. I didn't know that. And uh, Beck's Beer Man, uh, Pinwheel Girl. <laughs> and I love this one. Look at this girl's face. She's like going, really? Seriously? And that's the question I want to ask. Do you realize, people, how hot it is out here? And you're going to wear this stuff. Now, obviously, these people are not serious about the race. Now, I want to tell you a little secret. Our worship leader, he is going to be running in the race tomorrow. And um, I want you to, to go, uh, just, just be out here and see what he's wearing. So, and if you're not going to be out here, you ask him what he's going to be wearing. Because, yeah, he'll fit right in. Um, <clears throat> they're not in it to win it. They're not, they're not in it like Paul encourages the Christians to be in 1 Corinthians when he says, run the, run the race to win it. And it's obvious. It's hard to run with a Spider-Man costume on. <laughs> Notice that the writer points out two things that we need to ditch, we need to take off in order to run effectively. Let's look at the second one first, the sin that so easily entangles. John MacArthur said there ought to be an aggressiveness to the Christian life. There ought to be a competitiveness to the Christian life insofar as you fight against weakness and insolence and laziness and ignorance and sin. Don't you know that we've all been guilty of laziness towards sin? It's easy for us to sin that grace may abound. And so often we just give in to temptation instead of surrendering to the Savior's will. We all know it's just easier. But you don't win races that way. Recently, we've been bombarded on the news by the story of a politician whose career was ruined by a foolish, sinful mistake he made. And politics aside, do you ever stop and wonder, what would make a guy like this do something like that? I mean, to be in the position he was in, you would think he would have to be smart. And yet, 
Why would he think he could get away with something like that? Here's the simple truth, the one to write down for today. Sin makes you stupid. (laughs) Think about the Bible examples. David, king of Israel, writer of the Psalms, a man after God's own heart, commits adultery and murders. Paul, the boldest of Jesus' disciples, completely disowns him. You see, we are weak and flawed people who are vulnerable to temptation. And I love how the writer uses the word entangles. What a great word. What a word picture. Sinful actions, they cause a a lack of sleep, paranoia, guilt, and distraction. We spend valuable time trying to cover our tracks, and, and I envision the runner just tripping over his own feet, entangled. 1 Corinthians, uh, then, then it says, throw off everything that hinders. Throw off everything that hinders. That means anything that's holding you back. Not necessarily sin. It could be a good thing. This takes a deep look within. Are there things in your life right now that are eating up too much of your time? Is it a relationship? Is it a job? Is it a computer? Is it Christian busyness? 1 Corinthians 10, 23 says, Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Believers, it's time for us to get serious about our faith. It's time for us to do some hardcore training. This doesn't mean we don't have fun or that we lose our joy. It's just the opposite. It's a joyful thing when we start trimming down and we begin to enjoy the race. It's not such an agony then. So what, what do you need to let go of? Are there things that you need to confess today to God and ask for his help to remove? Are there things that you need to, to tell a brother or sister here in this place and ask for accountability and for prayer? Now here's the best part. In order to run the race with endurance, verses 2 and 3 say, we must fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter. That means he ran it before us and that he ran it perfectly. As a pioneer, he ran ahead of us. He, w- he was both God and man, and yet he was without sin. That means that he never got entangled. He ran it to show us that it could be done. Now, the Hebrew listeners of this letter would definitely identify with the hostility found in verse 3. They knew what it was like to be shamed. But the cross... None had to endure anything like this. To know, that, to know that the one that they were following had gone through much worse than they would ever go through had to have been at least a comfort to them. And the call to lay aside everything, every hindrance, should be heeded here because often when we're persecuted, often when, when we're unfairly treated, we have feelings of resentment. 
We have feelings of fear and anger and pain. And he's not saying don't feel those things. Don't just ignore them. Embrace the feelings. Do something about it and continue the race. Don't let it stop you from running the race. And Jesus is described here as the perfecter. That means that he's right there with you as you run the race. He's calling out to you, cheering you on. He's helping you perfect your race. Isn't it wonderful to know that Jesus, the one who set the course, the one who who invented the race, is standing there at the finish line with his arms wide open, ready to celebrate with you in victory. I love the words of Paul in Philippians. Now that I have already obtained all this, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold for me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken what is behind. I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So today it's this. Stay in the race. Put yourself in a position to endure. Look to those who have gone before you and to those around you that have gone before you and put off those things that are just weighing you down. And finally, look to Jesus who is standing at the finish line waiting for you. Today, if you're not in the race, first I want to encourage you, get in the race. Now, last week we had a baptism. We'll have three more today. And in a real sense, baptism is like a, the starting gun. Bang, you're off. Let's go. But he's asking you to come to him and to believe and to trust him as the author and perfecter and finisher of your faith. He's asking you to let go of the things that entangle you, to be willing to just say, you know, whatever, God, I'll, I'll do it. And then he's asking you to hit, hit the starting mark and be baptized. And then today, if you are a believer, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you in the next month to take a day. And in that day, just, just a couple of hours, spend, spend some time alone with God. Spend some, some time alone with Jesus. Maybe bring, don't bring the cell phone, but bring your Bible, bring a pad and a, a pen, and just talk to him and just say, God, is there things that I need to let go of, both sins and then the good stuff? Are there things that are getting in my way of the race? And just ask him to reveal it to you. Ask him to help you pour that out on paper. And then ask him to help you deal with it, the, the, the plan. Because that's where we often fail. We, 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 get, we get the sin. We, we, in fact, we could probably do that without even going and being away. We can go, yeah, I know him. I can write him right here. But it's dealing with God and asking him, okay, what process do I need to go through? Where will you take me now to be able to let this thing go? And then, and then deal with it. Maybe, it's, maybe it means going to someone else and asking for help. But those are the two challenges I have for you today. If you're not a believer, get in the race. If you are a believer, ask God to reveal the things that you need to let go. Well, let's pray together, and then we're going to worship again and uh, have some baptisms. But I, I, I pray that today that God, that you feel encouraged to run the race, that you feel encouraged to not give up. Let's pray. 
God, I thank you for the people here. Thank you that they are interested in in you and the things that you would have for them today. And I pray for all of us that um, as we run the race and when we get tired and when we get frustrated, when we get weary and hurt, God, that um, we'll, we'll feel your presence, we'll know that you're with us, we'll be encouraged by your word, and we'll keep going on because there's a prize at the end, God. And Jesus, you're standing there at the finish line. And God, we, we, we ask, Lord, that, um, again, if there's someone here that, that is not on the race, Lord, that they'll find somebody to talk to, maybe even today, and um, that they'll enter the race. And God, you, you being our, the author and perfecter and finisher of our faith, we look to you, God. We look to you, for example. We look to you for comfort. We look to, to you to help us finish. Thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.